Hello, everybody, and welcome to Bevies with the Boys. We are now on episode 10, which I cannot believe somehow we've made it to double digits. My name is Much Balls. I'm joined by Dagda. We are the boys. And for Bevies today, we are joined by Fanatic's brand new coaching staff. It's Yamata Cannon and Tolki. Guys, thank you so much for joining us for this earlier episode because this is a global episode as well. Obviously, Yamato, you're over in Berlin, I believe. We've got Tolki yep. tuning in from Japan as well. Guys, welcome to the episode. Thank you for joining us. Do you want to give us a quick uh, quick hello, quick intro for yourselves and let us know what you're drinking tonight? Yamato, we'll start with you. I um, didn't plan to drink because I'm detoxing. Well, not detoxing. It sounds like I'm a raging alcoholic, but <laughs> I'm in a phase where I'm not drinking. <laughs> due to the season uh, starting and i know that uh, christmas is going to be very heavy-handed so i'm <laughs> pacing myself but my choice of drink usually is gin and tonic and i brought a bottle just to show it off and to pretend that i'm one of the cool boys mate i can appreciate Hendrix that. with me oh <laughs> look at you you come prepared so usually that's uh, that's my drink what was the rest of the question? Was just, that it? Just yeah. sort of uh, to introduce yourself a little bit. We'll we'll come back to it. We'll we'll do a bit of backstory talk. Tolki, what are you okay, what are okay. you drinking today or tonight for you over there? Yeah, so for me it's eleven p.m. I live in Tokyo, Japan. So here, you know, beer is very big. So I got everything from the very small Kirin to a bit of a bigger Asahi Super Dry. Then we can attack, you know, the premium malt made by Suntory. Before moving, you know, to the very famous Sapporo Black Label, before finishing up with an Ebisu. And ah. did you know, like, almost all those brands were part of the same company back in time, like a hundred years ago. The Sapporo, Ebisu, and Asahi got created. They fused before World War II, and because they got a monopoly on uh, beer in Japan, they got split up after World War II. And now those are made by the same brand, but the other ones are independent. But they all make great beer, and this is the newest one, so I'll start with the premium mouse. They're, you know, the new kids on the blocks. She would be impressed yeah. the world. Like I'm, sure. yeah. I'm a yeah. coach. <laughs> I, I did not know they were all the same brand, you know but you learn something new every day. Forget about League of Legends. Let's just talk about beer. <laughs> we just go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> I'm definitely okay with that. But, uh, Dagda, what, what are you drinking tonight, mate? Yeah, I, so, I keep saying uh, tonight. It's two o'clock. I'm, I know, yeah. <laughs> I'm on a Havana Club, the seven-year oh, nice. Uh, decided to pick that one up for myself, but uh, I know that Yamato's detoxing. But we're on week ten of bevies with the boys, and yeah, it's just there's no <laughs> detox here. <laughs> yeah, we're detoxing by drinking at two p.m. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm on the Doom Bar today, and then I've got my my Hendrix as a backup, or maybe I'll just drink it in solidarity with Yamato after my first one. We'll have to see. Um, so. <laughs> Let's take a moment here, and I want to give you guys an opportunity to kind of intro yourselves and, and give us a bit of backstory. Um, Yamato, we'll start with you because I, I kind of segued off of yours already. You've had kind right. of a, a bit of a crazy journey. Obviously, for, for some of the newer viewers, they might not know your, your history of coaching within Europe for a very long time. Uh, working on, on TSM, a different kind of TSM to maybe some people are thinking. But then you obviously <laughs> you were on the LEC. You went over to be the first coaching, uh, the first Western coaching career, if I'm not mistaken, or in LCK at very least. Uh, can you talk us through that journey a little bit and, and give us some of the cliff notes of your story in esports so far? Honestly, you, you nailed it. Yeah, you, you brought up all the details. Now, I've been I've been playing this game for soon eleven years. I used to compete. I played in the first season ever of. Um, the EULCS uh, under the name, well, Dragonborns was the team. They still owe me money to this day because esports was <laughs> pretty pretty terrible back then. But um, it really was the Wild West. Yes, it was definitely the Wild West. And um, 
I continued. I, I loved the game. I wanted to compete always. Uh, I had to take a little break. And when you take a break as, as a pro player, uh, players don't like it. You need to reprove yourself. And my idea was to jump into the coaching world uh, just because I wanted to be in a gaming house because my, my father was very against gaming. I had to hide all my life that I'm playing and competing. Like my, my journey to bec becoming a pro was me playing on a shitty MacBook I got from school, getting burn marks on my thighs because I was like hiding in bed playing like this pretty much. <laughs> on 20 FPS. I was playing like this, uh, climbing the ladder, and uh, I just wanted to escape to a gaming house. And um, I had some buddies over in uh, MIM. I was talking to Mithi, Nuktak. They were like, you should coach. Because um, Riot announced that they're going to make uh, coaching like a paid role. I was like, well, money. Mm, yeah. Money. That's something that I've been promised in different teams, but never received. But Riot is promising money. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I got some slightly more official. Uh, Yes, yes. There's some precedent here that uh, I might get paid. You know, I have some some push here. So I just went for it, and my idea was, okay, I'm going to be in a gaming house, I'm going to practice with the team, and then I'm going to do solo queue all night, and then just become, uh, you know, level up again. But I fell in love with coaching, and uh, I've coached uh, ever since, and I'm not uh, planning to stop. I have uh, Many, many years uh, more in me. So it's all up to Riot Games to make sure that this game stays alive. So I'm looking at you, Riot Games. <laughs> so no no pressure, uh, Mark Merrill, but his career is on your shoulders right now. Uh, yeah. So so moving over to you then, Tolkien. Do you want to give us a bit of backstory for anyone that doesn't know you? Because obviously everyone's going to have heard your name right now because you just got announced by Fnatic. So everyone's going to be over the moon. For anyone that doesn't know your backstory prior to that, do you want to tell us... Uh, some of the cliff notes, a bit of a synopsis of your story so far in esports. So uh, I'll go with the short route, which is already pretty long, uh, because I'm 30 years older and it's pretty much boomer status in esports. <laughs> I started like being into competitive gaming with uh, fighting games when I was a teenager, actually. I played oh, nice. fighting games for almost 10 years. I got a few top eight at Stunfest more than 12 years ago. Then I started PC gaming with StarCraft 2 and started working with Ogaming in France as a caster. But uh, like esports wasn't very, you know, professional. Uh, just like Yamato, you know, some people still owe me money from money I was doing from job <laughs> I was doing from them at this time. So I moved back to a standard uh, work uh, environment. I was a consultant and I worked as a video game producer at Ubisoft. Then five years ago, I was bored with my life and decided to move to Tokyo because, well, Tokyo is pretty great. And in Tokyo, I created an esports team that didn't really pan out. And then I started working remotely for Splice, T1. And now I will be moving to Berlin to work with Fnatic. So abandoning Japan, unfortunately. So this is, this is the first team that you are uprooting and, and properly getting into the gaming house and all of that for? Well, in Japan, when I had my team, uh, we had a gaming house and we we're all there in person. But it was not the, the same level yet. It's going to be the same uh, the first time, you know, I'm really there in person mm -hmm. with the team that's competing for the world title, which I've enjoyed when I was with Splice a year and a half ago or uh, with T1 in person a year ago. Okay, cool. I, so I'm curious. I, I do just want to touch on the, the Fnatic stuff because obviously you guys now are working together. Have you guys ever worked together in the past? Uh, do you, did you already know each other? Did you guys kind of choose to work together or has Fnatic hired you both separately like what kind of roles are you guys going to be filling as well like uh, on my end when i was discussing with fanatic uh they were asking me if there's someone that i had in mind and i was 
vouching and pushing for Toki because, um, uh, well, I checked his resume and any sane person is going to see that uh, me and him, you know, on paper uh, match uh, together perfectly. But to my content, they already told me like, yeah, we're already, we already have him in consideration. No worries. <laughs> we, we are doing our job <laughs> as a fanatic. So it's uh, uh, from there. I guess our first interaction was, um, I remember uh, Gary welcomed me to the LCK when I joined Sandbox. And that was oh, nice. uh, a good first interaction, you know, and uh, on Twitter, uh, so to speak. And then uh, we also have the same agent. So I guess that's how our worlds <laughs> connect. Yeah, like past okay. each other in the in the lobby on the Discord channel. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, discreetly. But yeah, I feel like we'll make a very good duo. Like I realize I'm lacking experience, and that's all that Yamato is. You know, he's the guy with the most experience in LC. So I feel like we'll be able to bounce off each other. I'm more the you know guy who comes a bit from the outside with a more data-driven approach, technical approach that needs you know this experience and this. Uh, yeah, this experience to work directly with the players and to really be part of a team. So it, it was the same for me. You know, when I heard I was uh, considered with Yamato, I thought it was a great idea and a great pairing. So from the start, it sounded great. Yeah, that's one of the things I was curious about because I watched your talk, your interview with Ashley Kang, and you were kind of talking about how you're very much about like the data-driven stuff. You're more about like, hey, if we want to make a decision about like, hey, there's these two things up in two minutes, what should we prioritize? That was your game plan and where you came in. Is that what you're hoping to bring to Fnatic or are you now trying to explore more options and kind of get more involved with the player end of things? I'll get more involved with the players, but I'll still, you know, use this data I have at my disposal to inform our decisions. Like, that's the whole point. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to move to coaching is because by now all my workflow is automated. Uh, I can do research very, very fast. I very powerful software libraries that can help me answer those questions. And I don't need to spend hours uh, doing analytics now. I can focus on the coaching side of things while uh, having access to this information. So that's why I'm going to Berlin. You know, I'm trying to fuse uh, those two things together. And then what was that like? Because you guys obviously were, I know, Toki, you were the first uh, foreigner that joined a Korean team. And then Yamato, you were the first head coach to join an LCK team as well. Like, what was that like kind of being the ones that kind of paved the, the way a little bit over in the LCK? Gary was first, so you go first. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, the icebreaker. Yeah, it was, uh, it was nice, but being, you know, a remote analyst is not the same as being on person. Uh, you know, on the ground with everybody. I was there in January to meet with the team, but because of the virus, I couldn't go back once in the whole year. It was one that would go every month. But uh, since I was just working remotely, you know, I felt like I was doing my best to help the team, but it was hard, you know, to really connect with the, the players and even the coaches. It's, it was hard, you know, to really get a personal connection. So, you know, I feel like I was a consultant the whole year more than a real part of the team. Yamato was a real, you know, first coach in Korea. I can echo that sentiment that uh, doing it uh, apart was something that I was very careful about. So I did, when we were apart, what I did was I opened dialogue with the players, but I didn't give them too much direct feedback in terms of what they need to improve on and what they need to work on. Instead, what I was doing was just uh, building a very, very close relationship with the, with the coaches that were on the ground and make sure that, to make sure that they convey my ideas in their way. So that mm -hmm. the time when I land on location, we can start uh, over from scratch 
uh, in a sense, because uh, the spring split was quite rough for Sandbox, and then uh, at the beginning of summer was also rough for us. Of course, I was very involved, but there is too many layers to go through. Like if I'm going to talk through Discord, through a translator, and they're going to translate, there's just too much information lost, and at the same time, the concentration isn't there. Even though I couldn't say the words, my demeanor and my physical language and how I am mm. talking to uh, people uh, still uh, matters a great deal. And I think uh, it's, so it's only natural. Just terrified in person. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> so, certainly very confident. I can speak from experience here. I met Yamato one time uh, in, in Switzerland. Um, yes. In my experience, Yamato is the kind of guy that uh, won't necessarily be the person that talks the most in the room, but when Yamato speaks, he has quite a loud voice anyway, and he has such a like powerful presence in the conversation that when it's one of those people, it's like Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. When he speaks, everyone else shuts <laughs> up, you know? So <laughs> I, I can definitely, like, it, it makes sense to me that you're in the coach role, honestly, but I, I do want to ask you guys a little bit more about, like, Going as as a Westerner, essentially, going and trying to join a Korean organization, because there's got to be some growing pain, pains there trying to get in. Like, as you guys mentioned already, talking through translators and things, do either of you speak any Korean at all? Or was it all exclusively through translators? Like, were there any other growing pains that people might not think of in, in trying to coach a Korean team as a non-Korean, essentially? Well, like... On, on my end, I've noticed that when I am in situations where I am forced to learn how to communicate, I learn how to communicate faster. Mm -hmm. I noticed this surprisingly. Like I studied German maybe in school for maybe six years and I couldn't speak German at all. Like I could say eins, zwei, drei and that's it. But when I was in the situation where I was... Um, staying at my uh, girlfriend's parents' house for the first time. So they are Russian-German. So they don't speak English, they only Russian and German. And in that situation, you know, I need to be a, a person that, you know, connects with my girlfriend's parents naturally. So I'm exposing myself in a situation where I'm forced to learn how to communicate somehow. And in the span of one month, I learned way more German than I did in six years of school. Sure, you could critique my ability to to study. My grades were okay. My grades were okay. I'm sure <laughs> people are going to use that as, as a as a point of contention. But this was my mindset as well coming into Korea, and um, eventually, like with time, there was you know my English was very different in Korea than what it would be in in a specific team. It's the same like in Vitality. In the beginning, I couldn't understand shit what Jizuki was saying. Because he had like this heavy Italian accent. <laughs> and then we had Kabosha with a French accent. We had a Portuguese accent. We had a Polish accent. So it was a cocktail of, of, of language <laughs> that eventually, you know, uh, cooked together to make a nice uh, soup. Yeah, and and then, uh, then you five could all understand each other. No one else could understand much, any of you. Pretty anymore. much. It's like, I, I, sometimes I had these uh, podcast episodes with Jizuke. And people writing in the chat like, what the hell is Jizuke saying? I'm like, whoa, what do you mean? This is, this is very clear to me. And... Uh, uh, after some time, there were some key Korean words that I learned, and uh, it was far from perfect. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that it was anywhere close to like uh, true communication, because I did use my translator super much. But in Champion Select, there were key phrases and key questions that I had to ask the players. And also, it was very helpful that um, some of the players actually speak very good English, like On Fleek, Gorilla, Joker, uh, Fantasy as well, all of them 
speak very, very good English. So this definitely helped uh, super, super much in those situations where it was uh, crunch time and we couldn't uh, use uh, our translator that much. But in terms of, um, just to bring it back to what you brought up in the first place, in terms of challenges, it was surprisingly, you know, like in terms of, at least in the scope of Sandbox, Sandbox for me is like a gold standard for what an organization should be because I came in there and they took care of everything. I, I could focus on the players and the game, where I should be, where I sh what I should eat. Uh, my, everything was taken care of. I didn't need to think about any logistics at all. And uh, that's something that I've never experienced before in, in, in esports. I, I told you my horror story of season three <laughs> with Dragonborns. Uh, the, there's been improvement, but I think the level is uh, on a whole other level in, in Korea from my, uh, of course, um, you know, experience so far. I know there are horror stories about some orcs. Some people are going to like, what about this team? I know, I know. My experience with samples, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's good to hear a positive thought on that one. Tolki, what's your experience been like trying to integrate? Because it's not just Korean teams for you as well. Obviously, you had a team in Japan. Like, coming over as a Westerner, was that, I mean, do you speak Japanese? Are you fluent in Japanese? So was it a little yeah. easier in that sense? In Japan, I had, like, there was a cultural and language barrier. I got better since, you know, I closed the team. It was already three years ago. But I could already speak with the players. I didn't need a translator with my team in Japan. In Korean, uh, current grammar is literally the same as Japanese, but vocabulary and, the, like, the pronunciation have nothing in common. So I tried studying Korean. I didn't really get that far, so I didn't use it. And in the end, I was working mostly with uh, Hajin, uh, the manager, who's also French, actually. And oh, really? She, yeah. Uh, so Hajin was with Misfits last year as an English-Korean translator, but she's also a French engineer like me. So that's how we met uh, before in Berlin. And she was the one, you know, doing the, the heavy lifting in terms of communication. Like I tried studying Korean, but it was very clear, <laughs> very fast. It was much easier, you know, to rely on her. Like she knows League of Legends really well. She translated for a year for Gorilla in Misfits while he was learning English as well. So... Uh, in the end, I didn't really need to make a big effort in regarding the work culture, you know, the communication culture. Like Korea and Japan, of course, are different countries, very different countries, but they still have a lot of similarities in terms of a work environment and how you communicate to other people, especially the ones who are hierarchical, a bit higher than you. Mm -hmm. And I was used to this, you know, <laughs> I, I know how it works around here and it was never really an issue. And by the way, Yamato, if you miss the French accent, I can speak like that the whole year. <laughs> c'est bien, c'est bien. Yes. C'est très bien. Um... Go for it, man. Go for it. It makes you feel at home. I, fe I felt like I was on holiday in Paris for a second. Was... Yeah. I, I was scared as an Englishman in Paris. That's a terrifying thing. Uh, they don't like yeah, us you... over there. You get treated really well as an Irishman once they realize you're not British. The ones and it's fine. <laughs> I'm not joking, by the way. I've been to Paris like three or four times, and every time someone there is an outright asshole to me on purpose. Like a hundred percent of the time. It, it it's honestly oh. it's kind of crazy. Um uh, not nothing against French people at all. Just in my experience, Paris specifically, <laughs> not a fan. Not I'm a, a Parisian, but I understand. <laughs> they do not like me there, but maybe it's mutual. Uh, what happened to you? You need to give us a story. Well, 
What happened? I was looking for Yu-Gi-Oh cards one time. Okay. We embarrassed. I may be a nerd. Okay. <laughs> so I was there for I was there for All Stars in 2014. I think it was 2014. All Stars was in Paris. Um, I went with my friend. So this is just as a fan years ago. Um, so me and my friend Dan went to Paris. We spent a bunch of money to get flights and a hotel and all of this good stuff. We go to Paris. Uh, uh, we got an Airbnb. And this is when Airbnb was like kind of newer. So not as many people were using it. We ended up with this Airbnb that was literally like across the street from the arena. It was fucking perfect. And we were avid Yu-Gi-Oh players. We went and played in tournaments and stuff at this time. So we were like, okay, while we're in Paris, we've got to go get some French Yu-Gi-Oh cards. We just wanted to get like a booster pack each, just as like a souvenir okay. for the trip, right? And hopefully we would pull some rare card out of the booster and it would be like the ultimate anecdote. So we Google where to find Yu-Gi-Oh cards in Paris. And there's like this huge department store that apparently also sells. They have like a section of card game stuff. So we go to this shop and we're looking around for ages to try and find these cards. And we can't find them. We've even found the MTG cards, but they don't seem to be together it seems to be like you know how some of these ones are like sorted by brands rather than sections it was like that and so we basically give up searching after a few minutes we go and ask the guy at the till and we're like hey uh do you guys sell Yu-Gi-Oh cards because you could you show us where they are he's like no (laughs) we're like no no you don't sell them no no you won't show us like uh what? and it's like oh we don't sell them we don't sell them i'm like oh okay no worries google said you did but okay fine that's that's cool so we start making our way towards the exit and like two aisles down this this fucking huge Yu-Gi-Oh section that we missed and we're like <laughs> bro what the fuck like there's no way he didn't know he just didn't want to help us it's just that simple uh, there's been a few oh, other stupid little things. I, I don't know. In my experience, they don't like me, but <laughs> I, I, it might just be oh, like confirmation bias from that. He wanted to protect you from gambling. Yeah, that's, maybe. That's it, you know? Maybe. Yeah. I did get I one of the little my loose cards. ghost things. I can't remember what they were called. But you're a bit of a weeb. So do you know Evangelion? Of course. No. And in Evangelion, uh, the anime. I'm not. I am not. I'm not a weeb at all. I just played Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> okay, but in Evangelion, they always drink this beer, so it's very, oh, really? very famous. You know, weeb beer. Okay. So, Toki, I'm impressed with how many you've put away so far. To be honest, I've just been catching my eye every so often, and just like, <laughs> we need to go for drinks in proper at some stage. <laughs> it's a uh, Japanese training, you know. Yeah, it's like the hard mode of training. <laughs> I think the Irish could probably contest that title yeah. as well. I'd love to see. I'm willing to be to adjudicate that showdown if you guys need a judge or a referee. Yeah. I'll be. I'll join in. I'll throw in the Russian card. <laughs> Let's go. I'm ready. I've been I think Russian, the Russian politics. Yeah. Russian holidays. Now we've so just you. created a bad joke. An Irish, a British, a French, and a Russian walk into a bar. <laughs> <laughs> okay. but, you know, this one was only 120 milliliters, so it doesn't really count. Does okay. it? It's like those it's like those airplane beers where you ask for a beer and they give you one that's like literally basically a shot and it's just uh just a disaster. Anyway, let's um let's talk a little bit about League of Legends, shall we? Um since that's sort of the thing we, we have most in common. That and apparently beer. Um so preseason has happened, gentlemen. I don't know if you've noticed. I'd imagine that you have, since you are coaches within League of Legends. Do you <laughs> want to give us uh, a bit of a flavor of 
some of the the craziest stuff you've seen in preseason so far? Because obviously, I'm not expecting you to tell me your top five OPs because you probably want to save that for LEC. But I know that everyone I've spoken to about preseason has a different idea of what's broken and what's ridiculous and what item is just completely bonkers and what item is just completely useless. And I feel like I'm curious if you guys have the same take or if you're kind of on different pages on what's broken right now, what's not broken right now, what needs buffs, what needs nerfs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, show us yours and we will we will show you ours. Okay, sure. <laughs> so so my top three bands right now are Kale, Kane, and Samira. Those three are 1v9 busted, like win any game just by locking it in kind of thing in my eyes. What what are your guys' top three bands? I'll put Kane up there, yeah. But it's um are you asking in the in the sphere of solo queue or in the sphere of what would be competitively viable? Like if we're predicting Kespa, what are they gonna play in Kespa? I don't think we're gonna see super much Kane. I think there is room to punish Kane. Mm-hmm. But Kane is definitely up there in in the sphere of maybe broken. Same thing with Samira, right? I think there is a quality about Samira that she is very, very snowball prone. Like you can put her in a in the same sphere as maybe a Katarina. But that snowball might not occur in an environment where she's maybe leaning against a misfortune and, and struggles against uh, something that is super, super difficult. So is it a solo queue question or is it a competitive question? I mean, I'm personally more interested in competitive. But yeah. Okay. Uh, if if we are getting onto a topic where it's like you don't really want to say too much, like that's totally fine. <laughs> we could talk about solo queue. But I obviously am most interested in in what's going to be good competitively when we're looking to Casper, to Masia, and all that good stuff. Because there's going to be a couple of patches, I'd imagine, before actual LEC starts. Well, I, I guess uh, on on our end, we're not putting like we're not making conclusions now. I think everything is very preliminary, and a lot of things will change. Like for example, now maybe Imperial Mandate, Sunfire Cape, or Sunfire Aegis specifically because of uh, the ability-based uh, Mythic passive. Uh, maybe these items are overtuned, and uh, I think right now items dictate which champions are being played, more so than champions being OP. And uh, like um, AP items were really strong for a short amount of time, and then they got gutted. So I think you know the high win rate champions are also in line. I, I believe Casper Cup is is I don't know if they, they might be playing already uh, Demacia Cup. Uh, Demacia Cup starts on like the nineteenth or something like that. Nineteenth. So everyone's Ish. playing on ten point twenty five, right? I, I couldn't tell you. Imagine we've not got much info about Demacia yet. So okay, okay. Because that's like for, from from at least our position, it's like these teams are going to do a lot of legwork, you know. A lot of legwork yep. on that patch. And then another patch is going to come. So there is a lot of information that is going to be readily available. And even though, even though let's say we, we are tournament ready and we'll figure everything out now, what good does it do, do us if yeah, we yeah. You know, don't actually compete on the patch? I mean, we might compete on like 10, 27, or maybe even 28, if it extends so far. I'm not uh, completely certain. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just for context as well, someone's asking in chat. Casper Cup is a, a Korean tournament and Demacia Cup is a Chinese tournament. These are both tournaments with some pro teams, some like semi-pro teams. Well, I guess they're all pro teams, but like some LCK teams, some uh, academy teams essentially, all competing together. Same for Demacia with China. Um, 
Oh, it's only LCK teams. I think, I think it's only LCK because now it's franchised. So there's no more uh, like CK teams. It's just okay. the yeah, it's 10 all 10 teams. LCK teams this year. Yeah, yeah. Damn, that's such a it's, uh, two groups of five. Uh, that's really round good. robin, I think. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, to bound on what Chamato said, by the way, I mean I agree hundred percent with him. For me, it's more like what's broken right now doesn't really matter to us as a team, because there will be two to three patches before pro play. And like Riot is experimenting right now. They're very clearly pushing the limits. Yep of what can work and they're very clearly broken champions and items but who cares like it's preseason mmr it's not gonna be a, even people who grind rank it's not gonna be a rank at the end of the year like those patches right now are made to be experimental and they're not made to be heavily analyzed because of course they're broken as hell that's what they're designed for so i'm waiting for a little bit of stability before you know really pouring hours into understanding where we stand yes. <laughs> yes yes okay so with that said, let's talk about some solo key power picks then a little bit. Oh, sorry, Dagda, go on. I want to just real quick, because obviously there's a lot of different power spikes on different lanes and champions and all that kind of stuff at the moment. And you guys are coming into a fresh team and you're trying to figure out like, hey, what's the identity and the style that we want to play? Like, how do you try and figure out that at the moment when there is just so much fluctuation in like what's strong what people should be playing like maybe you've got someone who's playing a bunch of tanks in the top lane but really their strength lies in a carry role like how do you try and identify that and try and work with that within the new team i think um first and foremost i think we just need um some some data i think uh, the dynamic even though even though now uh of course we've maintained uh, uh, the core in self-made helisang and uh, and Bipo, with the addition of two new players and also, of course, uh, two new coaches, the dynamic will change. And in every dynamic, uh, people find themselves sometimes in, in different roles and we just have to see how everything pans out uh, as we get into it. We are currently you know, actively discussing like uh, what everyone's playing in the game. I'm monitoring solo queue accounts and making sure that everyone's in, in tip-top shape, uh, like uh, mechanically coming into the season. Uh, but all in all, this is something that um, I think if you are diligent about it, it's a problem that will solve itself with time. It's it's hard to say from the get-go, especially because we don't know how the patch is going to look like. It's like the moment me and Gary are going to have the patch notes for the patch that we're going to play on, then, you know, we're going to... You know, we're going to rip up the whole carpet. We're going to see everything <laughs> underneath all of these words and silly phrases that they had before the change. Uh, I hate those, honestly, but that's just a personal, <laughs> personal beef. Uh, so I, I shouldn't even bring it up. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. And uh, even then, you know, like champion strength in League of Legends, even though it matters, it's still not that big of a discrepancy. What matters is having sound compositions how you want your team to play much more than specific champions in the end. Like, even the most broken champions in League of Legends history had only a 60% win rate, and then you have to put them in the right composition, give them the right tools to succeed, put them against the right champions. So, like, we have time to figure it out. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be, you know, a short something. It's not about coming into week one with, you know, the perfect picks and bands for this new preseason. What we want really is to be at the end of the year, the team with the best drafts have, make sure we understand the game the best. It's going to take time. It's going to make sure it's going to be about making sure our players and our team can play the compositions we intend to draft, 
And it's not something that's going to happen, you know, in the first two weeks. It's it's a long work to get, you know, where your team can be. It's okay. also just to 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 add, uh, we are preparing for when the preparation starts. Preparing so to, to prepare. I like. We are preparing to prepare. <laughs> what it is, pretty much. Okay, so I, I actually kind of want to dig into that a little bit more in, in kind of you guys and how you're approaching hitting the LEC running with Fnatic because you're kind of talking about, you know, to word it how you worded it there, Yamato, you're preparing to prepare, right? What does that look like, especially with an organization with like Fnatic that is, is so well known, such a high amount of expectation and pressure on you guys to perform? Um, obviously reckless leaving the team and upset coming in who in of itself is a is a big name and a and a huge prospect right um i think it's certainly like reddit uh, is seriously underplaying the the power level you guys have on this team um what's it been like kind of hitting the ground running here and, and trying to pick up like what have you guys been doing so far to set yourselves up for once you know what patch you're on once you know what the power picks are how to properly apply that and how to be a team already by the time that comes around i think um on, on my end it's um it's just about you know i i usually take time in the so-called off season to really reflect on on everything that i've been through and uh to, to really know what works and what doesn't work and uh to really uh, spend as much time as possible to to get to know uh, the players, to be as prepared as possible for the dynamic uh, that will occur. I think in terms of the pressure that comes with Fnatic, you know, on my end, the biggest pressure has always come from knowing that I am responsible for actual people. I think... Um, as a head coach, I see myself responsible for, for everyone that is a, a part of the project. And there is no greater pressure than that because you have an opportunity to affect people's lives in ways that um, can be hurting or or memorable and, and shape them in, in a good way. And uh, regardless of how many fans, millions or whatever, there is nothing that is going to you know be stronger than that pressure alone. And of course, it matters. You know, the fanatic brand it comes with, um, you know, a privilege and also, you know, a challenge. But I know that uh, everything has kind of aligned for this moment. Like I've been competing against Fnatic uh, since uh, my genesis in, in in league. I was competing against the Xpeke and the Shushes, and I was uh, always, you know, whenever I was facing Fnatic, it was always a very grand event. And um, to now be a part of this every game is going to be a grand event and uh, that in itself it's it's like fuel for the soul you know it's really fuel for the soul because i'm kind of motivating my myself here as i'm talking and <laughs> yeah. i'm getting very excited for what's <laughs> <Yeah>. to come <laughs> i have a tiger test playing in the background yeah exactly it sounds like this has been almost a long time coming for you like was was fanatic an aspiration of yours career-wise or is it just kind of like the, the, this has happened and you've kind of realized how big of a deal this is i guess um you know like in terms of how i make choices i had the privilege of uh, uh taking a spring split off because 
like Vitality decided to part ways with me very late into November, and that was well within the rights. I'm not uh, trying to pile onto them, uh, but um, uh, it was very late into November, so all teams were pretty much set in stone. And then all the offers that I received were kind of like, eh, these players, I, I don't really see myself, you know, being passionate in this project. So I kind of just took a step back. And what I always look for in the teams that uh, I sign for or now I've signed for Fnatic is just the challenge and the opportunity to to grow and to become a better version of myself. I think for me, the vision of living and being alive is self-improvement and getting better and trying to perfect everything uh, that you're doing, even though perfection can't be reached. The pursuit to me is 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 life. And if I can't, if I'm in a situation where I can't apply myself in such a way, I don't want to be a part of it. And uh, fanatic naturally is an environment and uh, you know this opportunity where I can have these things specifically. So it was uh, a natural progression. Nice. That sounds like that, it fits. That's very. Sorry, go on talk. That's a very Nietzschean way of life. You know, it's about becoming the Ubermensch, you know, the, <laughs> always becoming better, enriching the pinnacle of humanity. So, sounds like a good goal. You know, always improving day Japanese by day. Kaizen, isn't it? Is that what's called Kaizen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Kaizen. It's a word for improvement. It was on the walls of my team in Japan, like the kanji oh. for Kaizen. We did write it on the wall. So yeah, it's a it's a mindset I can really get on board with. Is it? Would you say this? Is a, would you say this is a similar thing to you, Tolki, yeah. where this was kind of like a a long time coming? Uh, or because obviously you've been on T One as well. T One is certainly yes. no slouch of a team. Like, where do you yeah, sit in on, terms of on fun, this? Like, I went from Splice, a team for which nobody cared about, even though we're actually good, to T One, which was the opposite. Like, everybody cared about the team, whatever happened. Like, everybody was crazy about it. And for me, it didn't really change anything. It's really about what I can do, how I can help the players, how I can get better, you know, uh, work on what I'm developing, what, how I'm trying to understand the game. I don't really care, you know, uh, like in terms, of, in terms of the pressure, it's not something that really affects me. Mm-hmm. The only thing I want is my team to perform. Like I'm, I love esports. I love working for teams because of like, I love competing. I love trying to be the best version of myself. And always pushing forward, you know, always trying to to go for that next step. And what's it like for you now? Because you're going to be moving, obviously, well, from France to Japan and now back to Germany. Like, it's a lot of moving about for you. Are you excited about the move back to Germany? Are you kind of sad to be leaving Japan? Because obviously you've got a big love for it. So where do you sit in the whole thing? For me, that's the biggest pressure, actually. Like, the biggest part of my move to Fnatic is leaving Japan. Because... If I could, I would stay in Japan, but I realize for my future, you know, it's not the best. I want to be working in esports. I want to be, mm-hmm. you know, in interesting teams and working on good projects. And I know I have to leave Japan at the moment for that. So that's the hardest part about it. But yeah, it's, uh, I- I've been getting used to it, you know. I'm moving around. My wife uh, usually has business trips in London very often. I'm traveling around as well in Singapore. It's, uh, it's something you get used to. I'm a traveler now. I feel like that that plight of Japan versus esports is a common plight within <laughs> this world that we live in. Like yeah. with how how popular <laughs> anime is, I've spoke to so many people that are like, "I really want to move to Japan," 
but I also want a career in esports. And for some reason, despite how popular gaming is in Japan, Japanese esports just doesn't seem to be like booming. You know, yes. like LGL. Get together, just... Nintendo. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> Nintendo has a lot of a lot to do with that. But yeah. like, there is a history of competitive gaming in Japan, actually, in arcades. Like actual esports started in arcades in the 90s with fighting games. And that's oh. where I come from. Yeah, the Daigo Umehara, uh, you know, beating people up when they were 12 and now he's 40 years old, still playing fighting games. It's still his life. He's literally one of the first pro gamers in the world. The issue with Japan is that there was never really a big professionalization and it never really reached the mainstream outside of, of uh, Umehara and Tokido. It never really got that inertia to really, you know, get to the next level and really become something that people can aspire to. Hmm. Surge. Yeah, very surge. Big surge. Big um, hands. <laughs> all of the other Twitch emotes as well. I can't think of them all right now. <laughs> um, interesting. Yeah, I, I, I've always been kind of... I had a friend that I, I worked with in when I was living in America and he was like a huge, huge fan of Japan and he would he really wanted to go and live in Japan and, and work in Japan, but he was a, uh, an esports producer by trade and he oh. could have gone into like reality TV or whatever in Japan like that. That's an option, but esports, especially on television and things in Japan was just not, not on the table at all for him. I remember over beers, him lamenting about this many, <laughs> many times to me. So I, I know that this is a, an unfortunate situation within the Japanese scene, at least. But I, I mean, that's from an outsider looking at Japan. Whether whether or not that's true, actually, in the scene is a different uh, conversation. Actually, a guy, a producer from a gaming, came to Japan to live for two years, and he directed advertising for Renault Nissan. Oh. <laughs> like he came from a gaming, but you know he had to do something else in Japan, and now he's back in esports in France. And yeah, it's hard in Japan, you know, as a foreigner, to find something that's professionally fulfilling while you know being something you you can find in japan like i could find a job but i'm gonna try and find a job that i would really enjoy doing even in esports mm -hmm. so it's a sacrifice that sometimes you have to make you know i've been saying goodbye to all the restaurants in the neighborhood like it's very local in japan that's the thing yeah. that's what i miss the most i've been taking pictures with the guys at the restaurants they've been Telling me, uh, telling me goodbyes and all that, and it's very emotional. But I'll get through it. I'll get through it. I'll learn to love Germany. You know, <laughs> you I, I think you're gonna find the same uh, local spirit in Berlin as you might find in Tokyo. I feel no. like Berlin's a little more uh, industrial. Is the word that I'm gonna use. A bit smelly, in my experience. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's return to our conversation of um, of power picks on on the current patch, right? Because you guys have said you're not that worried about what's really good right now in competitive, because you don't have to compete right now. And there's going to be a couple of patches. So, if you guys have been playing solo queue, because I know I've been mashing solo queue, what has been the most obnoxious stuff? that you've either dealt with or you've been abusing or you just ban every game? Like, what, what's the crazy stuff right now for you? Dagda, this goes out to you as well. God. Samira, for me, is the one. 
Just because I play support and I'm just like, every time my AD carry is going to walk into them, there's going to be Leona on the other team. They get CC'd, knocked up, and they're dead. I'm just like, I'm not going to deal with that. So let's just take Samira out and I'll be fine. That's it. <laughs> I think uh, if a team doesn't have Imperial Mandate and the enemy team has Imperial Mandate, you are just at a disadvantage because this item is just really, really busted. Uh, I think um, there is room. I don't understand why. Maybe I shouldn't review this, but I don't understand. Maybe people have tried it, but I would experiment with double support bot because mm -hmm. I think some of the mythic items, especially after Moonstone buff, maybe is super strong. Uh, after they change the support item, it stacks incredibly fast. You, you can finish uh, like an extra 1,000 gold already at a 12-minute mark if you are uh, good at the game. So I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some Seraphine Sona bot lanes just to to abuse and Double be nasty, Sona. and then <laughs> and then the champions that synergize with these shields and these heals so well are the tanks, and then you have a, a full oh, full God. combination, and then you have uh, your AD carry in the jungler, the jungle. You play the graves, you play the kindred, you play the cane, and then you just tank it up and you just you roast everybody with your sunfire cape, and that's it's how okay. you win. We have a Nuggery in the Shine LPL. We don't do. We won't be doing tanks. It's okay. <laughs> have you seen the Orn gameplay? Oh, both of them. The Shy builds Dorn's blade and then dies. Yeah. Lulu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! I have to say, Yumi is one that I've seen with Imperial Mandate that seems to be getting pretty strong again. Uh, because she can build Imperial Mandate and it's basically the same as when she was building Ludens before. And her Q still does like a quarter or a third of a Squishy's HP just on one hit. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen Yumi recently, but she has started to build in popularity across the games I've played. And I don't know, with how incredibly strong healing is right now, she feels kind of kind of busted to me. I don't know. That's... Also with the tanks. Yeah. That's the thing. Yumi with tanks. You have a scanner and a Yumi. <laughs> Kana just, just kills everything. Scanner, Nunu Jungle, disgusting champions. And then they have high base health, Yumi missing health, healing. It's uh, I, I I can understand that. I can see that. Yeah. I guess uh, I think Nunu's been playing milk for two years, and now you know finally people are seeing the light. Oh Lord and Savior, you know, Nunu and Willem. But uh, yeah, tanks are strong. They've always been. Yeah. It's a secret. Mm -hmm. I saw um one guy who was playing his ear and he built Imperial Mandate into Rileys and he was terrible right up until he finished the Rileys and then he was just 1v9ing. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Because the soldiers proc the Rileys, which then gets the Imperial Mandate. So you're just constantly procking it on every single auto. It was disgusting. God, that yeah, sounds yeah. obnoxious. It's like most mid laners, you can buy that and you won't uh, go wrong. Yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, very OP. Imperial Mandate. Uh, I need more Reddit threads about this. The AD carries are always <laughs> very vocal. AD yeah. carries are the, the the whiniest bunch of players. players. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They really are, I can relate <laughs> to that. I, I know this <laughs> because I've started playing top lane because this role is completely fucking useless right now. <laughs> you just play Lethality Jin and pretend you're a mid laner, basically. That's, that's what the role has come down to. Um, yeah. Honestly, uh, Vayne is also incredibly strong. Vayne will obviously become incredibly high priority if tanks do continue to be OP. I want to ask you guys a question that's very close to my heart. 
does Cogmore have a place in this meta? If we go into the universe where it's all tanks and it's all support bots, can we have Cogmore Lulu hyper carry comps? Because I love myself a bit of Pogmore. Is it possible? Because iBoy played it one time this this year. He ran <laughs> it down and nobody played it since. And it broke my heart. To give heart. a bit of context there, Munch had been hyping on Cogma the entire summer split. <laughs> I was like, this is the play. We're going to see it. It's going to be great. And then iBoy comes in and runs it down <laughs> the entire game. He's like, no, that wasn't the game. That wasn't the game. It's a different one. It's a different one. It'll happen again, guys. I promise. It didn't happen again. Uh, I remember this game. Cogma. Yeah, no, go on. Sorry. Forgive me, it's hard on the script. Yeah. <laughs> Kogma just... Um, I think the problem with Kogma is that he's a victim of needing items that when they are good on Kog, they are too broken on the champs. So, for example, Blade was very strong and Ginzu was a decent item. And then they got nerfed because Vayne is, like, abusing it. <laughs> Right, and other champions are abusing it, and then they have to, it has to get nerfed, and then in hand in hand, Koma gets nerfed, and Koma is just sitting there. Like, what did I do to deserve uh, this nerf? <laughs> it's the same now. Like, if you played AP Kog, maybe it was I did it. This is completely like like AP Kog Archangel Staff is a piece of shit of an item. It got buffed now, so I don't know how the numbers have changed. Well, not now, like in the most recent patch. Mm-hmm. So that's like something that hurts him, and um, I think it's always. He's just a victim of of his surroundings. It's just the nerves are landing left and right, and then you know some. If you look at the AD carries that are being played right now, Kogma leaning against like Misfortune, Jin, Samira. Ah, that's that's tough. That's very tough. I feel like he's a he's a uh, victim of mobility creep as well. Yeah. Like his E. If you're an AD carry, his E is fucking garbage. His passive is entirely... You have to in to utilize his passive. Like Half of his kit is completely outdated at this point. I feel like he's he's one of the champions in the game that I think is most in need of a rework at this stage to, to really actually be the, the late-game hyper-carry kind of siege artillery ADC that it says on the tin <laughs> like it says that you could do all of these things on the tin you're <laughs> advertised this like late game super long range artillery 80 carry that's gonna melt tanks and annihilate carries and like nobody could get blah, blah blah and then you play it in game and you just fucking die a thousand times because everyone can have 14 dashes and everyone does half of your health per auto and like who cares if you do percentage damage if you're already fucking dead you know um, told you guys, uh, they the carry players, they are the whiniest. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm just that out. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, guys, sorry. Uh, I think okay. range itself and damage is not enough to make a late game carry. And even if they rewire Kogmao, I don't think they're going to give him a dash that would be, you know, mm-hmm. out of place. And as long as you don't have a way to reposition, you're not in a hyper carry because you're a mid game carry. If your strengths come from damage, it comes from dealing damage with fewer items than other champions, which means you're going to be best in the middle of the game. Like, to be good late game, you you only need wrench and mobility. That's why Ezreal is so good late. You don't care how much damage he deals. You can never catch him. He's always going to dish out damage. And Kogmo, you know, his whole concept is kind of doomed from the start. Like, he's a low mobility, high damage champion. It's It doesn't really work without a lot of support and really a coherent kit like Jin. Well, no. I, I could dig further into this, 
but I feel like I am one of the few people on the planet that's interested in Cogmore. Um, <laughs> I so... think they, they need to just have him be able to slide across as E. If you can just like use that as a slide, <laughs> it'd be perfect, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's actually just very liquid. It's not slime anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it just like, scoots along. <laughs> um, Gary, are you standing up? Yes, I prefer standing oh, yeah. up you know, for a long call. I'm very jealous of you. I wish I had one of those desks. Because you I mean, get the feel free to like ten up. minutes to set up. Yeah. I'm sure you have a <laughs> great might be an awkward angle. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so let's let's bring the conversation back to the LEC because I feel like that's what a lot of people will be, should begin to listen to. So coming into this year, tell me a little bit about Fnatic and what people should set their expectations to. Because as we mentioned earlier on in the in the show, the the expectations will be relatively high. Like when you look at a lot of these players in terms of um i guess expected power level in the public eye like you've got some serious heavy hitters on the team um what should the community expectation be for this squad like coming into the year how do you feel gary you want to go or should i go i can go on that you know i don't really care what the community expectation can be but we're coming to win and not just LEC, like we're coming for the titles, all of them. And I think we built a roster that can challenge for all the titles. And that's all that matters to me. I mean, I cannot say we're going to go back-to-back LEC world champions, but that's the plan. Like, when you come into a season, if that's not your goal, like, what mm-hmm. is? So I think we have a roster that's able to do this. We have players that have individual strength and that mesh, mesh together well enough to really challenge for the top. And that's all we're gonna gun for. Like, that's what we're here for. Yeah, we're doing bevis with the boys, so I'm just gonna <laughs> say flat out: like, if you are not trying to to win everything, you can just you know go eat shit. I think it, there's no, <laughs> no other way. There's no other way to approach it because at the end of the day, if you are in the mentality that you win it all, how you're going to work day to day is going to change. Results are only a byproduct of what we're going to do day to day. So it's like when we're saying we want to win it all, we're going to work as if we want to win it all. We're going to strive to win it all. The byproduct is the byproduct. You know, things can happen. I've been in seasons where I've had players that have fucking heart problems in the middle of the season. I couldn't fucking predict that. You know, things happen. But in the end, we focus on the process and the process is going to be built in a way with the aspiration to win fucking everything. I think anyone that acts in any different capacity is like, yeah, we're looking to go playoffs in spring and then build and then maybe go to Worlds. Like, I don't think this really works. I don't think it really flies. Like, I think, sure, you can look at the year as a one-year process, and I'm not against this, but I think uh, you should always aspire to be the best possible. If you are limiting yourself and setting the bar too low, you're not going to work in a way that is going to put you and elevate you to those levels. And now with these players, with this group of players and with Fnatic, like this is, everyone aligns on this 100%. And what is the Yamato Toki process? Like you guys have just come into this new team. Like what are the things that you do to get that groundwork in place straight off the bat? Go Gary. So for me, it's a lot of organization, structure, efficiency. I feel like in a lot of esports teams, player waste a lot of time. You like players, you know, trill the thumbs around, not truly doing anything productive, or scrims take too long, feedback takes too long. They play solo queue, a lot of 
queue time and you know maybe not all games are productive like i want to cut back on that like my goal coming in is really for players to train efficiently to gain time and then have more time to you know take care of themselves not burn out and be at the top at the end of the year like for me it's really a question of structuring training uh being more efficient for everything we can do in terms of communication in terms of feedback in terms of training itself and having this help the players move forward you know that's what i want to put in place at Fnatic, really. Yes. And, and on my end, to, to, to bounce over this point, for me, it's always been finding the efficiency in people. And um, I think uh, building the right culture in place, making sure that uh, everyone's aligned with the same ideas and attacking any personal problems that might occur, which honestly, I say might, but they're going to occur, like always when you're hanging out with people, you reach a point in time where you spent enough time with a person, you're like, holy shit, this, this fucking annoys me. <laughs> fucking does this all the time. You know, you need to be very, very aggressive in how you deal with these things and you need to make sure that you build bridges uh, between people. The difference between, like, for example, now, uh, both me and Toki, we came from Korea. You have five players with similar backgrounds, not exactly the same backgrounds, but you have players that are... They understand the culture. They're all aligned on the same culture so that can follow into the team environment and uh, a lot of things can already be, you know, set and done. While in Europe, I mentioned the vitality. We had one from every corner of, of Europe uh, here uh, as well. We have players coming, back, coming from different backgrounds, different cultures. So you need to make sure that you are always building bridges. And I think uh, the foundation for any team should be that, uh, you know, you need to trust that the other person that you are facing or having an argument with is acting in what they believe is in the best intention of the team. And that is going to manifest itself very differently from person to person. But it's just important to have that as a backbone because you need to have that in place in order to build bridges between people. Uh, that annoyance might turn into something that you understand and then help to improve. And then all of a sudden, every problem of the team is no longer an individual problem, it's a team problem. And that is where we're going to work very, very hard to, to put in place from the get-go because in, in anyone's experience, when you ignore issues, whether it's in your relationship with your significant other or with anyone really, like if you ignore issues, that carpet that you sweep everything under is going to be very uncomfortable to walk on. And uh, if you are in an environment where you're trying to achieve the most possible, any of those issues need to be ironed out. And uh, we're going to be very, very ready for when it happens. And uh, already from, from now, from speaking to all the players, we're all aligning about what we want to achieve and what we want to be. So I think this is just the most important thing uh, for a team. So Gary is all about efficiency, me too, all about efficiency, because I think Esports is still at its infancy. There's a lot of things that can be min-maxed. And uh, the system of just uh, scrimming and reviewing and then the day is over, I think there's a lot of, you know, things that can be trimmed off and things that can be done much, much better. So me and Gary, we've, we've had, you know, maybe, I don't know, five, six, seven calls in total. And every time we talk more than one hour, two hours, it just feels like we are aligning on everything. So I'm super, super excited. And nice. how do you try and build that trust between the players? Because obviously, as you said, you're coming in from different cultures and you're going to have some people who are just like, 
whatever the background is, they're just like, hey, look, you're fucking shit. Get your shit together. We're going to do this. Whereas you're going to have other people that are much more reserved. Like, how do you try and balance all these differences and opinions? Like, how do you build the trust so someone can be comfortable and go, hey, look, Yamato, hey, Toki, this isn't working for me. I've got an issue here. Can we try and come together and sort <clears> this out? Like, how do you get that system in place? Well, as, as I mentioned, the, the key thing is, uh, is building bridges. The reason I use the analogy of building bridges is because uh, I don't know if structurally or like from an engineering side of it works that way, but I see as bridges, you can build them from both ways. Sometimes some problems will be solved 90% from one person and 10% from the other, sometimes 50-50, sometimes the other way around. It's just about having a problem-solving mindset and putting that in place uh, from the get-go. Our dynamic is going to be very unique. It's going to be very different from my team. So even though I've had experience with working uh, with said players, I'm well aware of the fact that each individual that we have on this team is unique and their needs and their perception is going to be very different from any players I've worked with in the past. So it's all about just making sure there's a space uh, to, to talk always, to talk openly making sure that uh, you know the backbone of what we are going to build the team on is something that everyone agrees on it's not my you know it's not a dictatorship it's not my rules or my philosophy it's it's a philosophy that we all align on there are some certain key aspects that uh, i insist on but in the end having a foundation where everyone agrees these these are our rules that we're going to abide by for the entirety of the time we're going to work together and that is going to be our foundation. And everything that comes along the way, we're going to be aggressive about it and making sure that uh, you know every perspective is listened to, we can begin to build on top of that. How that tower is going to look like is going to be very different from team to team because, as I mentioned, every, every person is very unique in their own way and our dynamic is going to be unique uh, in its own way too. So it's all about just being ready for when those things come. Interesting. The only way to get people to do what you want is to get them to want to do it. Like you have to get the players on board and make sure you know they are the ones who want to make it happen. And you cannot force things on them. The only way that they're going to do something is by making them see that that's what they need to do to achieve their own goals. So it's just a matter of communication. I think everybody in pro play wants to win. Everybody is there for the title. And just have to help them, you know, help them solve issues the right way and the way that the team can win more. Like nobody wants to lose in esports. You'd hope not, anyway. You certainly seen some hope. Shit. <laughs> you haven't played before, have you? <laughs> MF isn't just a champion. That's all I'm going to say. Um, so <laughs> I want to, <laughs> I want to ask you guys. Uh, so. You're talking a lot about like uh, how you interact with these players once you have a relationship and how you uh, figure each other out and all of this. What is the like, do you guys have a process for like, you know, day one, day two, day three? How do you actually get on the same page with these players and, and figure this stuff out? So What's your favorite you can... icebreaker, you know? <laughs> no, no, no. no, no. <laughs> but, like, but on a very real note as well, like, are you guys playing among us? Like, what is the way of, like, getting past just the, I don't know who these people are kind of From a college to a friend. Kind of... Yeah, exactly. 
honestly, we'll see more once we are all in person in Berlin. It's going to be in a month still because there will be some quarantine happening. But I don't think it will be much of an issue. We both talked to all players many times. And I feel like, you know, players see our point of view. You know, Yamato and I are not the kind of people to come in and be like, we do things my way. You know, I'm the boss. We go here. That that doesn't work. That's not how you make a team succeed. You have to involve the players. You have to listen to them. You have to do, you know, one-on-one meetings with them, involve them in the decision-making process. So, you know, they actually have a say because it matters. You know, they are the ones who will be following what kind of training regimen you put out. So it's a lot of convincing. It's a lot of, you know, debating. But I have, we're not doing anything special. You know, we're just going to be there in person. We're going to be ourselves and have no doubt, you know, we're going to mesh well together. You know, we don't need to play Among Us to get to know each other. Fair enough. Yeah, we were just talking about. I don't know what the question was, but I agree. We don't need to play Among Us. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck that game. I I don't like this game. I really try to like this game, but I just, it's not for me. There's no gold. There's no winning. There's no stats. Like, if there's a win ratio. Yeah. So it needs a ranked mode before you're interested. (laughs) Ranked Among Us, that's where your motto is at. I felt really bad. The, uh, The first time I ever met Ender was playing Among Us. And I literally said like two words to him, like, hey, hello, how's it going? Good to meet you. And then I set him up for a kill, got him kicked out like straight away. <laughs> it was just like, all right, cool. Well, I'm peacing out. See you later. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Yamato was actually in that lobby. <laughs> oh, you might have actually been, yeah. I might have been, yeah. Because we were pairing up and then, and then, uh, and then you killed me. You cold blooded bastard. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> this was the Red Bull event, dude. Well, this is long after that. Ed Muggers didn't exist at that point. Uh, that, that Red Bull event was a mess for me, man. I don't know how it was for you. Oh, really? How so? Bro, I, I had to host. I don't know why they put me up for hosting. <laughs> that was already like a big, big Red I was surprised when I saw you on the announcement. I was hosting for seven games. Minecraft, <laughs> some new shit game they wanted to advertise. <laughs> Fucking uh, FIFA. And I was making rude EA jokes. I'm happy that the viewership wasn't too high because I was like, <laughs> I remember the opening segment for FIFA. I was like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, can you guys tell me how did EA uh, figure out a way to scam people again? Tell me about FIFA 2020 or whatever the fuck <laughs> the year was. <laughs> uh, they are fun events, though. They are fun events. I, I will say I was surprised to see that you were hosting on the like talent list, but... <laughs> But hey, you know, <laughs> I love the way there's the difference between like the person who's actually doing like the amount has been put out of his comfort zone here. He's like, this is fucking stupid. Whereas everyone else at home is like, it's great to see him diversifying. He's trying new things. <laughs> it's <going really> well. <laughs> it's just like, no, this is shit. I hated this. <laughs> it was fun to do something different, but it was just weird because I remember like the her- rehearsal day. Like, Jizuki was sending me pictures of him being out on the lake on a boat, you know, oh, eating crumpets <laughs> and fucking I will orange say, juice. Dude, as, as a host, re- rehearsal day is the worst because the problem, right, everyone has to do rehearsal day, right? Rehearsal day is a necessary evil. Like, and I, I'm one of the people in esports that most loves rehearsal day in terms of, like, the finished product. It's really, really important to be able to fucking nail that shit. But... If you are hosting specifically, you are there from the very start of the rehearsal to the very fucking end of the rehearsal because you are there from the very start of the show to the end of the show. The casters will come in and rehearse for like an hour, maybe. Like 
The analysts will have to do one or two of the segments. The players come in for like 30 seconds to do a walk on stage if they even do that. Like the, half of the tech crew is only half working half the day, but as the host, you are there the entire 11 hours. time. And you 11 do hours. everything over and over again. But the, the worst part about it is that people don't realize is with rehearsal days, so much of it is down to tech. So as the host, you have to be there. You can't just fuck off. You have to just sit at the desk and fucking twiddle your thumbs while they figure out whatever the fuck is going on backstage. You're not allowed to leave. All you can do is just fucking scroll on Twitter. So on days when you see someone like like Dash or someone like that, when you see them tweet like 20 times in an hour, they're on a rehearsal day. (laughs) That's what's happening right there. They they just have absolutely nothing else to do. Um, I know. Worst part. Let me tell you what's part. I didn't get paid for this event because Vitality was sponsored by Red Bull. So they just shipped me off. Oh, no. So was, but it was all right. That's In the rough. end, it was all right. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Vincent Constantin, the guy who was like good looking blonde guy with the glasses who took care of us. That's a lot of people. Oh, I've left the glasses That's... over there. Yeah, so. Connie. Connie, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he was That's cool. a lot of people cool. in Switzerland, though. But yeah, no, he's a really nice guy. Are there a lot of people in Switzerland? I'm not even sure. I said that's <laughs> a lot of people in Switzerland. I, no, I mean, okay, like in percentages, right. there are not that many people in Switzerland. They have a whole like uh, culture war thing going on where it's like different uh, counties all. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not even going to try to explain it because I feel like I'll just completely <laughs> annihilate it. Let's talk LEC. Let's talk the teams. Um, obviously. I think it's fair to say that G2 is your biggest competition. I don't yeah. think I'm <laughs> saying anything <laughs> particularly controversial there. So outside of G2, because I feel like that conversation is kind of, hey, yeah, they're probably going to be pretty good. And that's kind of all you can say right now. Who are the big teams that you're looking towards right now? Like when we look at teams like Mad Lions with their roster changes, uh, even teams like Schalke, Who are the teams that you guys are looking towards as potential contenders for kind of top four, top five? I feel like Rogue probably is the team that can transfer the form of of last year uh, the best because I think the signings are also uh, interesting. I think... um, I'm trying to remember which team. Uh, Is it it SK that have Tinks and all of the... Yeah, or the rookies, because yeah. that's interesting too, right? You never know how that's gonna pan out. Or even with Mad Lions, uh, like they are losing uh, Peter Dunn, and uh, they're bringing in some some new pieces. And um, you, you never know how the dynamic uh, might uh, shift within a team. Because like even for Rogue, Vander is going to Misfits. I believe that's official, right? Uh, I believe he's he's going to. I don't know if it's not uh, like. Whoops, if it isn't. <laughs> I'm say, like, it's pretty late. It's pretty late, guys. You better have it already. Get your shit together if it's not out. I think Misfits haven't uh, announced anyone technically yet. Oh, but, okay, but so Rogue, it's, it's Rogue, okay. I think have. <laughs> so Rogue is Odoame inspired, Larson, Hansam, and Trimby. So, so it's it's a meme. Like, what's what's the word? Well, I'm trying to find. Not arguably, but the other word. Uh, uh, so what I'm looking for, guys? I'm not sure. <laughs> Come on. Give me the context. Right Give me the sentence yeah. that you would put I'm it in. Not, and I'm not it. It. It's 
It's allegedly. Thank you, Roshko. Oh, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Everything, everything, Sam allegedly on it. Uh, but what my point was uh, that they are losing Vander and then Trimby is coming in. And then, like, Vander, you know, players do a lot in teams that uh, we can't see from outside in terms of communication, mm-hmm. in terms of kind of hiding the flaws of their teammates. The same thing with Perks, with, with G2. We don't really know what kind of an impact it has on a team to pull out a player because some players make other players better without them realizing them in the mom- that in the moment. And sometimes you can take that for granted. And all of this is speculation. But at the end of the day, if I look at rosters, probably like Rogue, uh, Mad Lions, I don't know what's happening with Shadow, no idea. Uh, allegedly, China, I guess. Uh, like at the end of the day, uh, like I don't think these teams, you know, they can have like a starburst and so forth. But I think it will be very similar to like the previous years, you know. It's like we, we have such a high ceiling already in our players that is certain in comparison to some of the other teams where the ceiling is uncertain. So I think there's a chance for some, some newcomers to, to, of course, take a, a higher stance. But I think it just comes down to, you know, you know, at the end of the day, uh, what are they doing in practice? And that's something that I can't speculate on. I would put Rogue probably third, I guess, in terms of who's the most exciting to watch. Behind you and GC. It, really yeah, yeah. Sorry, go on, it's really hard to to see how players will match together you know, beforehand. It's really hard to predict what's going to happen before the season even starts. After spring, you have a better idea of how teams want to play and what they want to achieve. But at the moment, we're very much in the dark. I feel like we did build a great roster. And for me, that's all that matters. You know, If, um, if your team is performing at the best uh, level that it can, it should be able to win LEC. And I think other teams, you know, built that way as well. But I think we we made the right choices. And like some of the other teams look good, but I'm confident we'll be able to to get up there and challenge you for the title again. Yeah, but I yeah, think that's... Rogue would be my first pick after us. I think that's the most challenging part is that like, what's how do you try and slot in your criteria, right? I mean, is it like star power that you're looking for? Is it just that, as you said, like some players make other players better? It becomes really difficult to try and figure out like what actually makes a dream team work. Because I mean, as we saw with Mad Lines, they were kind of a bunch of rookies that came in and they looked really, really good together. So I think it makes it really difficult unless you know that these guys have played together to actually have a, a criteria that you can kind of you can have an idea, but you don't really know until you get them onto the rift together. Just a smaller part on Mad Lions, you know, twice the year before, mm-hmm. the very similar coaching staff had better results and nobody cared. <laughs> like, it's a lot of, you know, communication. Like, it's a lot of what the teams show. Like, Mad Lions did very good, and I think they're going to be, you know, a top four team next season. But it's mostly on the back of Mac, who's like a great coach and who's great at making players the best they can be, I think. Like he's gonna manage uh, whatever roster changes there are. It's interesting to me that each of you, when talking about Mad Lions, has nominated a different coach. So, Toki, <laughs> you said Mac, whereas Yamato, you said Peter. I Don think is he, he speaks on a better authority because he's been in Splice during that time. Mm-hmm. I think uh, on my end, it's just uh, you know information from interacting. Like I, I've I've been on one PGL with Mac, and he was very nice. Like he he. he 
won as many points as he could have won in that little interaction that we had. So it's not on him, but uh, <laughs> it's just hard to know, right? It's very difficult to know. I love how you're judging you're judging people on brownie points year. exclusively. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did you say? Sorry, talking. He was very much in the shadows before last year, so you know it makes sense. He was not front and center, mm-hmm. or people didn't really even know what he was doing. But I think he's a great coach, and he was you know the the common link, the common denominator between all the my lion and spice rosters. And he's been a very good coach, you know, to push the players forward. But Peter Dunn, at the same time, you know, he was a great scout. Like, I don't say that about a lot of people, but I think he was one of the best scouts in the world. It's very hard to find new talent as well as Peter Dunn did. And that's a very specific skill he has. And that's something that they're going to miss at Mad Lions. They're not making much changes, but in the future... Like Peter watches so much League of Legends, you know, so much players that it's hard to replace. You know, Peter Dunn will be like, Oh, yeah, this guy in Brazil, he's been playing for three seasons and he had the MVP on the second game on the third uh, week. He was insane in that game. You're like, Oh, this is damn tweets, man. Oh, this is so crazy. Yeah, <laughs> this guy watches League of Legends 15 hours a day. It's insane. That's one thing that always impresses me about some people that you meet in the scene. It's like they they I think one of my biggest weaknesses as a person is my memory. I can't remember just random things from 20 years ago. But you speak to some people and you'll mention a player offhand and they'll be like, "Oh yeah, just just remember that one thing that they did four and a half seasons ago with this one champion in this one game that didn't even matter in the standings." And you're like, oh, "Yeah, of course." How could I have forgotten? What a ridiculous thing for me to forget. Uh, it's just like you meet some of these people that have like a, a, you know, photogenic memory or whatever it is. They just remember absolutely everything. It never ceases to impress me, which is maybe a more thing about me than it is about them. But um, yeah, it, it's definitely a talent. I, I want to ask... You need to have a growth mindset. It's not about talent. It's about working for it. Uh, yeah. Boom. But there's an extent to which you're kind of born with a good memory or not. <laughs> I do feel like there's something it's a lot that about is less about learning and more mnemonics about what and got. how to remember things is something you can learn and that you can have acquired without realizing through your life. It's not really talent though. It's something that you will have real gotten unconsciously, but you can make the right steps to learn how to remember a lot of things very efficiently. So are it you exists. are you looking for clients as a life coach? <laughs> <Or>? <laughs> Not just yet. <laughs> I have a big client, Fnatic. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so I wanted to ask a little bit about Astralis as well. As uh, Oh, sorry. Did you have a question, Doctor? Yeah, I just wanted to kind of just jump off of some of the points you made. And you're kind of talking about a couple of the things like <laughs> Peter Dunn has been a discount. Like, who are some of the, the coaches or analysts that you guys um, have inspired you or you guys look up to or admire within the scene? Like, are there certain people that you go, damn, like, I really wish I had that skill or was able to do as well as this guy has done. It's it's dagged mm. it for me. Ah, <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> His ability to drink beer. <laughs> <laughs> on on my end, it, it was less so like, oh, this is what I want to know more so like these these are people that I would want to work with. Gary was on that list. For sure. And then 
the next name in line for me was Kaze, who is now in Team Solar Mid. He had some controversy on Twitter, but obviously, who gives a shit, man? I don't give a shit. This is Vager the bottom line is. Sorry, what? Is that Vager no, that was. No, that's another one. A lot of okay. Twitter controversy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had he had a thing for two years ago when he was doing a very nasty joke. You know, okay. Whatever. Yeah. Uh K's his track record has been really, really insane. Like looking at like he went from team to team and whatever team he was on, you know, sure it was a big organization, but he had a, a very good impact. And then we in Vitality I worked with someone called Dan. And um, the, the three roles is just uh, acquiring data and uh, statistical analysis and so forth. And this is something that, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, I, c- I can make a Google sheet and I can, you know, make a list for my purchases, some basic shit, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's as far as my programming skills go. So this is something that I don't know and uh, probably I won't uh, ever learn because there are just so many more people out there that are better at me. But in terms of, you know, who I would love to work with in a staff. Uh, I'm, that's why I'm super excited to work with Gary because he was always on this fucking list. I heard about his resume and uh, that's that to me naturally uh, in terms of what I can learn to improve in my position, that's information that I want to have and at the same time cover things that I know are necessary in the team. Because I've been in esports for so long and you know I had a coach back in season three, but this coach was a big fucking joke this was not the coach he was telling me yo this guy played with this rune you should probably try it and that's it i was like why i don't know he's a good just player give a go, mate. just give it a go yeah so that was to the extent of the coaching that sounds i received good. as a player it sounds fantastic <laughs> and then it turns out that the rune choice was wrong because you know I, I remember the specific instance my coach was telling me you should go gold pretend runes i was like why he's like Elements or alliance, I don't know, I remember what they were at the time. They're like, they always lane swap. So if you have gold pretend runes, money, he was doing the money sign. This is how you convince people you make a money well, you're sign. You were playing right? Gangplank at the time. Like, I was <laughs> playing Lulu. I was playing Lulu top. And then uh, they pick away Zed. I go Lulu top, it was my secret counter. He's like, go GP10 runes. I'm like, they're not going to lane swap. When they are playing fucking Zed top, they're not going to lane swap. He's like, no, no, they, they, they will lane swap. Okay, okay, I trust them. Then I'm laning against the Zed, and this was OPZ with GP10 runes. And the game was obviously fucking hard, and you lose. <laughs> and not because of me, honestly. We're just a shit team. But this was like the interactions I was having with my coach. And then when I began to coach, you know, I was nutritionist. I was, you know, uh, I was psychologist. I was strategist. I, w- I had to cover every single thing because that was where esports was at at the time. And uh, with time, you begin to specialize, you know, and I want to be in, in, in the role of, of management and, uh, and in terms of, uh, you know, dealing with people, working with people and focusing on, on the game and people and everything else around it. There's so much more around it. And uh, I know that uh, Gary is, uh, you know, a fucking expert when it comes to these things. And when it comes to my list, it was Gary, Case, Peter Dunn. These are three people that I've genuinely wanted to work with. Uh, other than that, there's nothing really that uh, uh, stands out to me. There are just uh, like players that I would want to to work with. Like working with Faker, it would be like a dream of mine. You know? I did that. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me just flex on you real quick. That's what I'm experience. I'm, I'm siphoning over this, you. Right? This <laughs> is the Parisian experience that I've been talking about. <laughs> I'm joking. Is this the hand that shook Baker? Is this the one? Is this yeah. <laughs> let me bask in your aura. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I'm very much like, you know, Yamato, there are people I'm interested in working with. I actually also was interested in Case. When I started as an analyst, he was the gold standard. He had just come off, uh, you know, finals with Fnatic uh, when I started working with Splice. And he was the first person I contacted in the scene when I started working on Splice, you know, to inquire about how he was working, what, which kind of tools he was using, stuff like this. But personally, I don't really look at people. I look at skills. And, you know, I try to see what's, which skills I can acquire. Because for me, that's the goal. You know, I'm not idealizing anybody. Every different person has a different set of skills. And what you can ask yourself is, how did they get there? How did they learn all that? What kind of situation pushed them to learn the skills? And for me, that's what's interesting. You know, there are players who are at the very top. And I'm always asking myself, you know, how did they get there? How did they learn the skills that made them so good? Because what can we reproduce from that? That's what I'm interested in. I don't believe a lot in talent and latent potency. For me, it's a lot about what can we do again? What can we reproduce with other players, with myself? You know, How can I get that and you know, be the chameleon and learn from those other people that have succeeded? You know, What to learn from there? Yeah, I'm with you 100%, for sure. I can, in, in terms of how I approached coaching for the first time since coaching in, in the west wasn't really a thing what i did was i just did a lot of research on traditional sports coaches that i know were really successful in their field so it's the phil jackson the vince lombardi's and the Jose Mourinho's and the ancelotti's and the ferguson's and you know the, the list is very long because i don't have a body of work to, to research to see you know what kind of mistakes they've done and in the end i think um a big portion of how successful teams are, uh, it's how the culture is built. And this is something that applies in any group environment, whether it's in uh, tech or Silicon Valley or uh, uh, NFL or NBA. It's always how the group dynamic functions. And I think uh, there is a lot of avenues to learn from. You know, uh, I know that Gary, he's, he mentioned that he worked in Ubisoft, but he's also been, you know, in the military doing up the business you know, there's there's experience and there are things to to learn from in almost every walk of life that you can apply in some shape or form in what you're doing uh in the future and i think uh, any type of positive experience it doesn't necessarily have to be positive you can make it positive even though it might have been a rough experience can help to prepare you for what's to come and um i think uh, in the end I don't know how I'm supposed to round this off. So I, but, uh, you get, can I ask you, you a question what, to you try and get round what off I mean. the topic? Um, <laughs> yes, yes. So for for the people at home that are listening, that because you guys obviously are both very successful in your own rights, and you're both talking about like you just got to improve. You've got to look at each of your experiences as a as a learning moment, and and that's what you're looking for in players as well. It's like people that have improved over time and people that have excelled. Um, when it comes to doing that, if you're someone that hasn't been doing that their entire life, what is the advice you would give to these people to 
begin this process to being a person that is, uh, you know, leveling up off of every bad experience they have? I think, um, I think it's so hard sometimes and, and at the same time, very easy for people to set like a big goal, like I want to win worlds. It's very easy to say that, but it's all about, you know, every single moment in, in your life, you know, like every day, you know, every minute, how you're using it. And that thought alone can be very, very overwhelming, but I think it is important to have a picture of what your ideal self would be. Mm -hmm. And from that point, what I would suggest is to just make a schedule. Don't be cruel to yourself. Make a schedule that makes sense. You don't have to be cruel. It doesn't have to be like 100% efficient day. You need to be, you know, doing things actively to push yourself forward every moment uh, in the day. That's going to be very overwhelming and very exhausting. But instead, make minor progress. It's all about minor progress. You know, there's been this uh, meme from Jordan Peterson where he says, uh, you know, clean your room. I think there's a, a sense behind that because you can actively see progress in front of you. And I think taking small steps, let's say you have a schedule, you do 1% of that schedule, that's already an improvement. And then maybe the next day you do 0%, but then you look back at it and you say, okay, I'm going to try to do 2% of my ideal schedule. Then eventually when you are rewarding yourself for that small growth, that minor growth, and you are moving in the direction you want to be moving in, that's where you want to be. You know, just, you just want movement. You don't want every day to look the same. And sometimes that movement can be very, very small, but that movement can be very meaningful. Let's say someone wants to exercise. Just going for a walk, you know, standing, just going for a walk is already fantastic. You know, it's a start. Uh, cleaning your room is, is very simple. It's, it's very visual in terms of how progress is showing uh, for yourself. So it's very therapeutic because I think as human beings, we feel good when we, you know, have progress, at least in my experience. I'm not saying this from a scientific uh, point of view. This is just from what I've researched and what I've experienced myself. So I think, you know, paint a picture of what the ideal person is, uh, what you ideal version of yourself is, like what do you want to achieve? Make a schedule that will progress you in that direction and then don't punish yourself and start small. Go for a walk, clean your room, write a message to your grandmother. She's, she's bored. Maybe write a message, <laughs> you know, just do something to, to, to move yourself in the right direction. So I, I think that the... just tickled me because the grandmother thing seemed like a completely different topic to me. She's bored, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but just... really, sometimes people want to connect with their family, and that's also something that's uh, important. And you know, I agree. I agree. It was just everything <laughs> know, else seemed very much like personal <laughs> progress related. It was like, by the way, uh, you haven't spoke to your grandmother <laughs> in like two weeks, so just call her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just <Yeah>. quick reminder. <laughs> I think the biggest thing as well is having a learning mindset with that. Um, just because if you don't have the right mindset to kind of go, hey, look, you know, maybe this solo queue game went absolutely shite. My bot lane went zero and 10. Like there was nothing I can do. There's always something that you can improve on. And I think that's the biggest thing is that even in the shit moments, it's okay, well, how can I improve in and of myself? And then maybe I can make something of this shit moment. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because I think that's where Yamato and I, you know, go well together. Yamato was very practical. In day-to-day -day advices, you know, you should 
do things step by step. And if I had to answer this question directly, I would have said, for me, what matters, you know, is the mindset. It's how you see things. As long as you see things the right way, as long as they do realize every single skill can be acquired, just that it can be a possibility, then nothing else really matters. As long as you realize you can you know, be on fakest level, it's a possibility, it exists, then you can work towards it. You can make the right efforts towards it. You know, that's why I think we join. You know, Yamato has the right practical approach to it. And I'm more focusing on the you know, overarching strategy and overarching you know, philosophy of the thing. I think that's where you know, we, we go all together. Because I would have answered the same thing, but just not with the same point of view. Yes, yes. I think also to add, we are living in a day and age, if you have access to the internet, you have access to the world's biggest library. And I mentioned earlier that I'm probably not going to learn to code, but I could, right? I have that option because, like, maybe it sounds like I have a big ego now, but it's accessible. You like, do. that information is right there. Like, I have access to Harvard <laughs> classes for free if I would want to have access to that, right? And um, in the end, I think uh, the mindset portion is very, very important. Like, if you don't have that in place, you're not moving anywhere. Like, as, as Gary mentioned in the beginning, or not the beginning, but earlier, uh, like change needs to come from within. And um, there are certain things that are going to spark that change. Like sometimes you hear that one sentence that like really, you know, rings yeah. a bell within you and you just, you know, it's fuel for your soul forever. Like there's a sentence that really spoke to me. It's like conquer the enemy within and the enemy of outside will do you no harm. I don't even know where it comes from anymore, but I can probably Google it up and find out. But that sentence in itself has that that really put something in me that uh, you know worked. And sometimes uh, finding that right fuel for the soul can invoke the right mindset within you. It's all about just exploring because maybe one one hundred people may, right now, one hundred twenty-seven people are listening to this. Maybe one person this <laughs> makes sense to. Maybe one person. Maybe zero. You know, maybe for someone else, it makes sense. It's all about just, you know, actively pursuing something. You can't be passive about it because I think that's when you start to land in a routine mm -hmm. and uh, every day begins to like melt together. Then the year passes, another year passes, and that's okay. Sometimes that happens, but it's all about now and, and forward. And if you want somewhere that you can get that active learning, Yamato has a great YouTube channel where he does reviews <laughs> that uh, I've actually, I'm using this as a shameless plug, but I actually genuinely have used them a lot myself. Um, even when I'm still in the LPL, he does really good reviews. So if anyone wants to check them out, I'd highly, highly recommend. I'm not going to lie. I thought, you were, gonna, I thought you were about sure. to say like, you know, brilliant.com, the sponsor of this video, by the way. If you're listening or Skillshare, if you're listening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay, great segue. Uh, great thinking segue. of quotes, you know, that affected us, for me, it would be a, a quote that's like Yamato. It's uh, Anatole France from Le Jardin de Picure. In French, it is Je tiens mon imperfection comme ma raison d'être, which is my imperfection is important to me, you know, as my reason of existing. And like, it's because you're imperfect nice. that you exist. It's only to grow better, you know, to try and perfect yourself every single day. You know, you'll forever be imperfect, and that's why you live. You know, you're always trying to thrive for the next big thing, mm -hmm. you know, for that next level. That doesn't exist, you know. And when I was talking about the Ubermed from Yamato, it's the same. You want to try and go as far as you can and always, you know, have this mindset that you can go to that next level.
Should probably drop uh, the word Ubermensch before you come to Germany, brother, because it's a dangerous hey! word to say. <laughs> In terms of psychology, it's okay. Like, it, All right, it's so okay. I, just, I, I just made a crude joke. I mean, in terms of psychology, you know, it's it's a great book. <laughs> Before it had all this shitty, terrible meaning. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess the, the conclusion to that is like, if you were to be perfect, you would have nothing to work towards, and therefore, work, working towards perfection is the the, the meaning there that, that you can find along the way. Yeah. Also, yeah. just to kind of follow up on this, I told this story last time, but um, like that pursuit often leads to opportunities that you never even know existed. Like for me, I was trying to like because I, I my background is finance, right? I got a business degree, so I was reading like Richard Branson's um, what's it called um. I got it up there. Where is it? Oh, screw it. Let's do it. Um, sorry, I've got a bookshelf up above me. Screw it. Let's do it by Richard Branson. And um, that was the reason that I got into casting was I just read it. He was like, say yes, figure out how to do it later. And then I said yes to casting when I did not want to. And then I ended up now I'm casting the LPL because I just kind of followed along. So I think these pursuits oftentimes end up in places that you never even expected them to wind up. And it can just have such a big improvement on your life. Yeah. That's for me. I didn't know I was going to coach six years ago. I had no fucking clue. And I was like, you want to coach? Just looking for okay. that paycheck. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, let me coach. I'm going to just practice solo queue. I was better than our top laner at the time. Like, our top laner was not that good. Like, I was way better. But I was like, yeah, fuck, I want to coach. It's okay. <laughs> and then I fell in love. And that was like the worst experience you could possibly have. Like, we were, we got auto relegated. All in love. It was the meet your mother, meet your mother team. Oh yeah. Where yeah, yeah. maybe you guys know the story. M-Y-M. Yes. <laughs> Which I'm, I'm not sure if I do know the story, but uh, no, you... man, barely I know the story. <laughs> <laughs> you were it's hoping like, that uh, we knew the story. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, our manager it. threatened to take away a player's house, and it was just a oh, Jesus. Oh. Well, yeah, if that's you, a short, short version. Yeah, dude, I'm sure it's on the internet somewhere. We have the, the yes. power of Google. Yeah. So, guys, if you want to hear more, <laughs> crack it in Google. Or Bing. <laughs> or Ask Jeeves, whatever your search engine of choice is. Jeeves. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Yahoo. Very popular in Japan. No. Yahoo nearly crashed, but they kept alive. They're okay. They <laughs> still exist. Um, so, I wanted to uh, ask a, a question from chat comes from ellie uh this is the same question as last week um just a question of way way back at the start what was it that got you into esports in the first place what was the thing that like actually turned it over from hey i like playing video games to hey maybe i can actually turn this into a career what was the the thing that bridged that gap for you fly gary this is all you man mine is oh, the genetic God, that's gonna be a long one <laughs> <laughs> Long one's fine. When I started, that's what this is about. For me, it was like when I started being competitive in video games. It was even before esports even existed as a concept. Like when I was playing with my dad, Edge of Empires, I was ten years old. I was like, if I can be better, like why wouldn't I be? I enjoy doing this. Why shouldn't I be better? I mean, that's what the whole mindset. And then I play Mario Kart DS, and I had a team where, like, in the top teams in the world, I was top thirty in time attack. That's why I got into competitive gaming. Then I discovered fighting games. I played that for 10 years. And then I discovered PC games. Then I got to StarCraft 2, League of Legends, and all that kind of shit. 
and I love esports. I love, you know, the whole competition aspect. There's no bullshit. It's only about being the best and, you know, finding the right way to win. That's what I love about sports and esports in general. You know, it's not about anything else than improving. I also did, you know, lots of traditional sports in hockey, you know, were a second in France when I was a teenager. You know, I always loved competition and even, you know, for university entry, for me, I saw it as a competition. For me, it's a game, you know. There are 500 seats. How do you get in there? You know, what's the right strategy to get in there? For me, everything has always always been about, you know, the right type of competition. So for me, what brought me in is just this mindset. It's only about the performance and how you can find the right way to succeed. And if I wasn't in esports, I'd be doing something similar because I did put esports on the back burner for my regular studies. I did uh, put, you know, a big focus on finishing studies first. And I did graduate from a, a good university in France. And if I wasn't into esports, I'd be, you know, still in the video game industry because something that speaks to me a lot. I think I learned a lot from video games. One of the reasons why I succeeded on the educational side of things is video games. I always had this approach, you know, to find the right way to succeed without spending as much time at the others, you know, <laughs> just, you know, finding, you know, the OP champion, you know, the OP way to learn only the information that matter and nothing else. So even if I wasn't in esports, I'd still be in the video game sphere because, you know, the being in, you know, immersed in video games for all my life is one of the reasons why I think I've been able to succeed even on the educational aspect of things. Nice. nice. That's an inspirational story. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Yamato, what about you? How did you get into esports? Um, now, on my end, I've always, like, like growing up, I was pretty like lonely as a kid. And uh, I spent a lot of time with myself, like only, like I was always alone. And um, I had this vision in my mind that um, regardless of what I'm going to do, I'm going to be like, I want to be the pioneer in that line of work. I want to leave a legacy. You know, I want to be immortal. And I remember like having these thoughts. Like basically I was like working with my father. So basically I went to school and then I had to work with my father and so forth. And, and then I gave you guys the whole story of me uh, playing with the laptop in the bed hiding because my father was against gaming. My um, vision was always that I just wanted to you know, be immortal and I'm not going to let anyone uh, define me. To, to work through like all of the, the bullshit of the day-to-day -day that I had to deal with it at school at the time. And um, gaming and esports definitely gave me an avenue for that because um, I, I used to play World of Warcraft Arena at a decent level. I wouldn't say like great level. I wasn't one of the best. Uh, and what, what expansion, what, what rating? This was uh, the Burning Crusade and, and Wrath of the Lich King. I have a couple of gladiator titles, but I was nice. I was just a kid back then, and uh, like I don't know, like twelve or some shit. Uh, Warcraft three, I played as well. I could like competed decently with my brother, and we were playing Warcraft three. And um, then League of Legends came along, and uh, the opportunity was so ripe. You know, I saw that. Um, the game is quite new at the time. My friends were playing it, and that's usually how you get influenced to play new games. And uh, I had this uh, vision for what the game could be. I think a big part of why I began to believe in esports so much was because I saw 
Now, like CS is pretty good in, in Sweden and DreamHack and so forth. Uh, so it's made the whole idea of esports feel a lot more real than possibly it was at the time. Because like I made most of my money ELO boosting. I'm not going to lie <laughs> at the time because <laughs> the tournament organizers, organizers kind of scammed <laughs> you out of it. Uh, but nevertheless, I played League. I was good at it. And I started competing. There was the goal for laws and so forth. And uh, it felt very, very real. And this idea of building a legacy and really, really, you know, being a pioneer in something felt uh, like this, this felt like this is the route to do it. Like gaming has always been a part of my life. I remember like when I was five, I was playing like Diablo 1. Like that was my first game. Probably not the best game uh, for a kid, but uh, it worked out. So, you know. It is what it is. Like, <laughs> try it out. Try it out with your baby. You know, maybe. <laughs> no, <I'm> just... <laughs> if, just if you won the next year, I can just train him up on Diablo. That's the, <laughs> that's the conclusion yeah. for this episode. <laughs> and, and then uh, just to, to, to finalize the story, you know, esports, it felt like it could be, you know, I could be a pioneer in this. I could, this is going to be, become something big. And then I heard the rumors about how a league is going to be made and there's going to be money involved. There's going to be a salary. And ever since that rumor came about, I knew, yeah, this is, this is what I want my life to be. So I, uh, I chased it uh, ever since. And I was lucky that uh, both my mother and my brother both play games and they've played games for as long as I remember. Like my mother still plays uh, World of Warcraft and Hearthstone, and uh, my brother does too. They don't have uh, like mechanics, but uh, <laughs> they play <laughs> games. So it, it, it definitely helped um, to, uh, you know, against the polarizing. Like my father, it's very like hard work, no emotion. You know, he, his mind, you could legit slow his mind into some, some man from 400 years ago, and he would just fit right in there. You know, he would just... <laughs> That's 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 where he's from, right? So it was it was polarizing, but at the same time, uh, the perfect balance. I'm happy that I got to 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 work in um, like the car mechanics shop and work with my father. At the time, I hated it because I thought it was just better for me to play games. But it also taught me very important values. So I am very very fortunate and uh, to see sports open it up as an opportunity, and I've chased it uh, ever since. And clearly, the the work ethic rubbed off on you as well. Like that's very evident. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, with that, unless Dagda, you had any other topics you want to hit on? Um, no, I'm just but, laughing that. Uh, oh, sorry. Go on ahead, Toki. I was going to say, you know, in terms of esports, I'm also a bit idealistic, but I feel like esports as a thing, as a concept, is something that's actually very important. And it's going to become very important for like everybody in the next few years. I think in terms of work, people are going to work less and less. Like we don't need to work as much to cover our basic needs. We have the means of production to all live decent lives in the world. I feel like we're going to need entertainment in between, you know, watching TV and trying your best to become the best person you can be, which is what esports is. What is the most inspiring? You know, like if we're going to offer entertainment to people. What is going to make them want to succeed? You know, what, what is going to make them, you know, want to surpass themselves and get better? And I, that's one of the reasons why I love esports. It's a form of entertainment that still is about, you know, trying to motivate people, trying to make them want to surpass themselves, trying to make them want to break their limits. And I think, you know, that's of, a, of an active entertainment that we're offering people. And I really like this aspect of esports, you know, trying to be inspiring 
of everybody who's watching. All right. Well, that I think is a perfect message to uh, to end the episode with. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I want to give you guys an opportunity to shout out anything you're doing right now, whether it's YouTube channels or, or whatever it is. Uh, we'll go Yamato, then Talki, then Daikta, and then we'll round out the show. Yo, everybody, subscribe to... Is it the Munchables YouTube channel? Is that where you're uploading? <laughs> is there a Bevies with the Boys YouTube yeah. channel? Yeah. <laughs> where, where are the buttons? Below in the corner. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Whichever platform you're watching on, click on the button. There's usually this is, a button. This is the good content. This yeah. is the good content. You know, Thank when, you. Man. When you notice, Thank when you like, for the people out there, when you notice like people showing up, like like a lot of people showing up, like they've had some hard hitters on the show, right? Then you know that the personalities also uh, enjoy it. You know, it's the same with. Um, like interviewers and journalists and talk shows in general, you notice which is uh, in which ones people actively want to do it or when they don't want to do it. And uh, uh, this was uh, a lot of fun. So I just give a shout out to you guys because in the season I'm just gonna be working. I'm gonna be like a you know ostrich <laughs> with my head uh, in, under the ground, but uh, in that ground is the Fidati Gaming House. So <laughs> I won't be available anywhere. So just stick to this channel. One of these guys get hammered every week. Appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you. We'll hit you up after MSI, mate. Don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah. Cheers. I've got my. Uh, I'm thinking about it. Uh, Talking your uh, uh, Same here. You know, to uh, subscribe here. You know, above or below <laughs> the subscribe button, and that's about it. We'll be working with Fnatic all year long. So what matters is this podcast. You know, two hours of great quality content, and that's all you need. Thank you very Damn much. Right. And some, Appreciate you know, beer history of Japan, of course. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the lessons. Thank you for, yeah. for teaching us a little bit about the beer history of Japan. Appreciate that. Just a scam to fake competition is what I heard. <laughs> yeah. Same company. Jesus. Not anymore. This one was the same Not company. Anymore. Hopefully okay. we can do a uh, repeat and of this. This one used to be too. <laughs> uh, hopefully we can do a repeat performance of this in uh, Shanghai when Fnatic make it to Worlds next yes. year yeah. yeah sounds good sounds good yeah, when you, guys you guys bring the beers Shanghai. you guys yeah. are gonna buy the beers I, I'll cover that don't worry yeah. nice nice you're gonna get a Bud Light sponsor then you know I might have to pass you know <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, do you know much it? about Chinese beers honestly but I'm curious I was I was buying this in the co-op earlier today and I this was not refrigerated already and there was Budweiser in the fridge. And I was like, do I sink that low for the sake of refrigeration? It's good marketing, though. The answer, the answer is evident. Sponsorship. Like, Budweiser, if you want to sponsor me, I'm willing to sell out. You've got the best beer ever, I promise. Um, but that aside, we're going to close out the show. Thank you very much for joining us, guys. Dagdo, as always, thanks for joining me as well. Um, we'll be out on YouTube and Spotify and everything else, so go check that out. Please do follow Tolkien. Please do follow Yamato Cannon. Uh, guys, Cheers, thank man. you so much for joining us. And we'll close out the show. So thank you, everyone, for watching, and we'll see you next time.